Welcome to Public Power Underground, Northwest Public Power's premier weekly infotainment series that covers Northwest public power and public power adjacent news. Our series began as an awkward forced fun time for the power department 45 weeks ago when we altered our work arrangements at the start of an ongoing pandemic. It has evolved into a forum to chat with public power professionals about niche topics that are entertaining to an extremely small group of electric utility enthusiasts. And if you found us, that means you. On today's show, we'll get an update on Northwest Power Markets on Aaron Reports and check in on public power and public power adjacent news on Public Power Desktop, where both BPA's Rachel Dibble and PNGC's Roger Gray dropped in to chat about public power news. I'm your host, the voice of the underground, Brian Fawcett. I'm joined by the star of Aaron Reports, co-star of Public Power Underground, financial analyst, Aaron Guillory. Good afternoon, Aaron. Good afternoon, Fawcett. Happy Thursday. No longer CPUD thir- uh, Friday. Happy Thursday. How's it going? <laughs> I'm digging your hat. Thunder Thank McClin, you. Representing. Thank you. <laughs> our other co-star of Public Power Underground, the coding wizard of R and Python, our resident Genesis apprentices and current power analyst, Ian, the neural network Bledsoe. Thanks for being here, Ian. Thanks, Brian. Uh, I noticed you didn't cue my intro music, though. We'll work on that next time. We'll talk to the editor about that. <laughs> I was—I really appreciated your response last week when you said, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I think that was the highlight of last week's show for me. So He's you set the bar now. high, and I'm just saying you didn't really achieve it today. But I put it in my performance uh, review <laughs> intake form. Like achievement for 2021 already checked off. You write that in for 2022's performance evaluation. Okay. I lost my place here. You might have to edit this out, Paul. Probably. Lastly, the booking agent of Public Power Underground and manager of the power department, Paul Dockery. Hey, Brian. It's good to be back for another week. I, I do feel like my booking agent responsibilities are largely like a lost puppy, uh, sending emails around the region, just being like, oh, somebody, will you be my friend? Will you be my friend? And I, I, like, people are being my friends. It's great. They love it. Our 21 viewers uh, hopefully are growing. Have we checked our subscribers recently? We, we have increased our subscribers both on the YouTube channel and, and on podcasts. I checked our stats on the podcast. It is like all of our listeners are in this like 18 to 38 category. It's great. It's That's hilarious. Nice. That's the typically hard to get group. So I'm killing it. Does it, say, does it show like which portions of the podcast they skipped to and, and watched? I am looking forward to when they have enough data that they can post that. I think YouTube, I actually can see that to see where they skipped to. Could, which you, uh, is could great. you not? share if they skip for certain parts <laughs> i'm sure everybody's skipping to aaron reports and then the just watching aaron reports and then closing everything down it is the the best content that we put out every week okay this I'm, is just a good news safe space yes, i was really gonna say it's the only segment we have that is reoccurring by the same ind- exact individual so uh, i don't know that you can really compare it to anything else but i would expect that folks are going to uh listen to that and then maybe skip other parts 
Oh, man. We'll skip to the interviews. So all of our banter on the other news topics is always (laughs) skipped. It's like, oh, we go to Aaron. We go to interview, interview, done. And nobody listens to like my my tag on out out script. uh, But they should because it's great. And they're probably skipping this stuff right now as we speak. So which I respect. We'll Stick just go ahead. on the podcast app. You just do one and a half times. It's a magic. It is absolute magic. The skip is 30 magic. is magic. I typically listen at one and a half times. And then I listen to our podcast and it sounded, I sounded really weird. So I had to slow down to one time. Just normal. <laughs> I, I, I listened to it at one and a half times, but then I got to error reports and I had to go back to one time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what an honor. Oh, what great content. Sorry, we're just filling up blank space here. Yeah, so no one's probably, people are probably skipping through this anyway. So we will transition to our the, the star of Aaron Reports. Aaron, what do you have for us this week? Well, let's get into it. Uh, into the stuff that I have. This is Aaron Reports, built to take a few minutes to cover Northwest market indicators for January 28th, 2021. I'm Aaron Guillory, and I've got your market update for the week. April, September flows. The Dow's are expected to be 886, 826,000 acre feet, a 406 fall from last week, putting the anomaly at 94%. Taking a break from all other dam reporting this week, we'll move right along to our check-in on snow depth in the Canadian Rockies. The Redfish Creek Snow Tell at 6,903 feet elevation last mentioned in British Columbia has a snow depth of 103.9 inches, up about seven inches from last week with the snow water equivalent of 35.9 inches, similar to the last time reported here, which is about 112% of today's normal. Mid-sea power settled at night around 2182 per megawatt hour. Daylight brought 2548, high 28, low 1975. August power at mid-sea stayed even at 6915 this week compared to 7045 the last time reported on a public power underground. Henry Hub February February futures opened at 276 per MMBTU yesterday and August opened at 289. Sumus gas in August closed at about a 24 cent discount to Henry Hub. Translation mid-sea August power is priced at a 26,000 heat rate. In bond markets, the California Water District recently issued two bonds, uh, one bond at a total of 25.215 million, a 1.25% 15-year uh, borrowing with average yields of 125 bips. The CPC maintained a reported ONI of negative 1.3 for October, November, December, with most recent SST departures of negative 1.1 for Nino 3.4 index continues to anticipate a 95% chance La Nina will continue through the duration of winter 2021 and a 55% chance through April to June. Answerd reported a maintained negative 1.06 current index. Spending a beat at Bonneville's bouncing authority. Peak load this past week hit 8,700 on January 26th at 8.25 in the AM, up from 8,600 last week. Uh, wind gen grew 47 megs to 122 and nuclear held steady at 1,200, even with last week's even with last week's coincident peak for the same hour. The shift continues. <laughs> the shift continues in NOAA forecast this week. Temp in the region has a 50 to 80% chance of being below normal, while precipitation in the region has a 33 to 50% chance of being above nor- below normal in the six to 10 day outlook, uh, with a shift anticipated to a 33 to 50% chance of being above normal in the most recent one month outlook for NOAA. And that's all we've got for this update. Back to you, Brian. Thank you, Aaron. I, um, you know, before we kind of talk about some of the actual specifics there, I'm just going to say I'm excited to listen to this tomorrow morning on my way to fishing at one and a half times. I'm going to take a video uh, of my infotainment uh, deal in my truck and I'm going to post it on Slack. Yeah, do it. That would be great. That would be great. It's worth the watch. So that's billable hours, right? 
It's worked yeah. a lot. Yeah, so we'll take his fast-paced one and slow it down about two notches. <laughs> so the snow uh, in the in the northwest, though, is no not all above average. It is there is some below average happening in the U.S. Rockies. I was a little surprised that we didn't get more snow there. Is it just not made it there yet? The snow we had earlier this week. I talked to uh, Mike Kukla of uh, Lucky Peak Power, and he told me it was snowing in Idaho when we were speaking. It snowed a little bit in Portland on Tuesday. So I have a, a question. Well. I know two years is not a trend, but this looks eerily similar to last year where we had a lot of snow up in Canada and not very much down in kind of the Idaho uh, area, the, the Snake River Basin. Is that something that we maybe expect to see due to climate change going into the future or is it just two years uh, coincident in a row? I don't know how much is driven by climate change. I do think this may be a symptom of La Nina. Okay. Uh, La Nina would predict that it'd be drier the farther south you get. Yeah. Okay. Makes and sense. it's also just, it's still pretty early. I mean, you can see some of these that are below average. It's still pretty early in the snow year. So there's plenty of chance for it to jump. I was just expecting the system we got here to, to actually force this up this week still, but maybe next week. Next up is our weekly walk through Northwest public power and public power adjacent news in a segment we like to call public power desktop. All right. First, we have Royal Dutch Shell has agreed to buy Ubitricity, which I assume is a portmanteau of Uber and Electricity, a leading European provider of on-street charging for electric vehicles. Ubitricity integrates electric car charging into street infrastructure, such as lampposts, and has more than 2,700 charge points in the UK, giving it a market share of 13%. For more, we're reading the Financial Times, where they note that street charging is expected to expand rapidly as customers who lack private driveways and those that wish to charge their vehicles overnight seek greater options. Moving right along, PNGC issued a big three list of policy priorities on January 19th that included engaging with a broad coalition of the willing to review options for a well-designed Northwestern regional transmission organization and independent system operator. To dig more into the priority, we're happy to welcome the president and CEO of PNGC, Roger Gray onto Public Power Underground. Hey, Roger, welcome to Public Power Underground. Hi, Paul. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, it seems like you know you're in your home office. How how's home working from home treating you and treating the staff at PNGC? Uh, well, the most importantly is how is the staff doing? And and I think it was a, an adjustment for everybody for the office staff. Um, for our power plant workers, it's sort of business as usual with some additional precautions, but the office staff has, we're, we've adjusted. We've actually, we're gonna go to a uh, near 100% virtual. We're selling our building. We're gonna get a very small oh. lease space for, a, uh, at, it's adequate for a couple of people who need to have a physical office space. And, um, but we're finding it's working. And there's a lot of, there's some upsides and downsides. I think the hardest adjustments have been for, uh, working parents with with kids in the school and the challenges of all those functions uh, and taking care of being, you know, moms and dads, workers, you know, 
daycare and that's that's much harder and that's, that's a big social problem and i think it is for pngc but we're yeah. working through it and the team's doing great and i'm that's what's most important to me the team seems to be hanging in there yeah well i i hope you give extra credit to your managers i have found that it has been hard to manage people um in the remote work and finding new ways to communicate and new ways to lead people has been really fun and challenging but you're you're the underground's a great example of how we how we've successfully modified things and adjusted and i hope it becomes a permanent institution so. well uh, uh, uh you know i don't know if it'll become a permanent institution or not but it like you mentioned we got to find innovative ways to communicate yeah. And I'll just dive right in. So um, on, on the big three list of policy priorities that you released on January 19th, one of them was uh, engaging with a coalition of the willing to investigate a possible regional RTO or ISO. And where I was interested, because you know I've engaged with a lot of your staff in these workshops on the energy imbalance market, is how, does, how would an RTO um, how would that effort comport with what we've already done on the energy imbalance market? Is it a continuation? Um, is it uh, reinventing the wheel? Um, and really, it's like, I, I had a lot of high-minded questions for you, but it came down to, you know, we put in a lot of work. Please tell me my work was worthwhile. <laughs> no, we're going to start all over. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I actually, I'll start with maybe the big vision of, of a Northwest RTO ISO um, I, I put it in the, it's so burning obvious that we need to do it and we just need to figure out a way to do it and overcome our past failures, which are never technical or economic. They're just institutional, philosophical and cultural failures that, of the past. And we've, you know, I can go back almost 20 years and look at the Northwest failures. Uh, and I, mean, I acknowledge just, just cultural failures, right? It's easy to overcome cultural it, failures, right? It's a, it, they're the hardest, actually, yeah. as you know, as you know, and uh, and philosophical because they're they're around beliefs. In fact, anybody who starts their sentence with "I believe something," I basically give I give up there because beliefs are hard to change. Um, but going back to your question about EIM, so it's absolutely, um, so first perspective on the EIM, great tool, necessary tool. It was wonderful that the Cal ISO and Pacific Core as the first mover there developed it because it does help. There's nothing wrong with having a, a, an intra hour. I call it the virtual BA that sits across multiple BAs and it, it helps balance uh, and, and integrate uh, solar and wind and renewables across the West. And I, I applaud that effort. It's a clearly successful. Um, I would want to make sure it stays. I, I do think there are some concerns. I have some concerns about the EIM and there are some really odd things that have happened like in September 6th that I'm really, really concerned about. They're, they're, they've been uh, dismissed as software errors and I don't buy software errors as a, it's a little bit more of a, that's more disturbing. Software errors need to be investigated. But on a fundamental basis, um, I think it has to be part of any going forward future in the West. And, you know, frankly, a Northwest RTO and a Cal ISO um, could continue to have an EIM that handles things between the two. If, if there's two RTOs in the West, uh, an EIM would be a great tool. There's no reason why we would throw it away. And I certainly do not want to start over, but an EIM, uh, I think a lot of people think an EIM is an RTO ISO and it's not. It's just one of the many, many elements that it, uh, would need to be put together in a RTO of the Northwest. 
and other elements like you know the planning function, the the beyond the hour functions, all those things would need to be put together. And by the way, we have pieces and parts of those uh, throughout uh, the Northwest. I call it. We've got a very balkanized, fragmented system up here, and like the planning that we have Northern Grid uh, that is does the planning function at, at an RTO ISO. I, you, we would not want to throw away Northern Grid. In my judgment, we would just want Northern Grid uh, to become part of the Northwest RTO ISO. So is that a feasible path forward, you think? Because the power pool is also working on a resource adequacy program. So in some ways you have this balkanized with components. Yeah. Um, is there a feasible way to, to put these components together? Yeah, that's so. You, it, first, I start with the vision, and then you ask yourself the next question: Is, is what is the um, what's the general approach? Is it big bang? You know, all, everything's brand new, or do you take the pieces and parts and build incrementally? You mentioned another important one is the resource adequacy function. Uh, the RTO ISOs around the nation have that as a function. They they have different ways of approaching it. The pool is making good progress on that. I applaud that. I do not see the RTO effort. Uh, some people have called the uh, RA resource adequacy a kind of a first step in a, in a, and I said, so my saying with that analogy or metaphor, I'd say, okay, that's yeah, a first step. It's a good step, but is it the last step? Uh, in other words, I see the RTO ISO as a staircase and RA can be a really good stair, uh, step in that staircase, but it's not the last step. But we also want to ask ourselves, where is the staircase going? What's our vision? And I, I really think that's where we need to have a comprehensive vision. Uh, we support the RA effort. But uh, as I always say, Paul, the angel is in the details. And I, I really think that the RA effort, uh, absent that strategy and vision is really hard because we're struggling as I, I'm not a, I'm not a pool member, but someone in the stakeholder committee, they're struggling with really difficult issues like where's the point of compliance? How do you deal with free rider problems? Uh, how do you make it voluntary? You know, there's it becomes a, how do you deal with FERC jurisdiction or do you just try and work around FERC jurisdiction? I, I personally, I'm tired of that conversation. We should embrace FERC jurisdiction and just get on with the conversation. I'm tired of the nonsensical, oh, we can't have FERC jurisdiction. That's just, a, it's, a, it's a conversation that in my opinion is just stupid, so. so. We need to move past and I'm willing to move past it with you. Do you yeah. So how, how do you envision like the first, the engagement of the broad coalition of the willing? Yeah. So uh, uh, I'm willing to talk to you about it. I'm willing to engage with PNGC. I'm a little podunk utility. Uh, but how do you envision that collaboration and, and what forum does it take? So I'm, I'm reaching out to, when you invited me to this uh, forum, then the underground, I welcome it because that's, that's the beginning of the conversation. Uh, you, you characterize you all as podunk. I would, PNGC is maybe a little bit, Maybe we're podunk uh, 1.2, 1.2. You know, we're we're pretty small. We're transmission dependent, like you are are, and we care deeply about transmission access and uh, and functioning markets. Um, I would say small. Well, I'll I'll say the the small but mighty utilities. I I prefer that to podunk, but we'll call it, okay. we'll call it small <laughs> but small but mighty. We go. care and need transmission access and the functioning markets more than the, than the big boys and girls, frankly. They have transmission that they own. They have access to markets that they can reach. So this is, I think it's a deep concern for transmission dependent utilities like us or TDUs. Uh, and so I'm reaching out to TDUs. I'm reaching out to preference customers. Ultimately, I think that the conversation has to include Bonneville because they're 75% of the Northwest grid. And I, I think it's going to include the investor-owned utilities. I hope they would consider this conversation. I know that generators are 
similar to TDUs, uh, generators that are only generators concern, are concerned about market access and, and transmission access. And of course, the state regulators, because of the IOUs, uh, once you get the IOUs in the conversation, state regulators and state policymakers. So it's that's where it gets complex. But I think that they, to me, the overwhelming evidence in the form of studies, Paul, and as well as the empirical evidence says we really need to do this. And so let's just get on with it. Yeah, I really uh, appreciate that perspective and, and kind of the thinking through uh, how this comports with an EIM and all the work we've done helps me get uh, get more willing to have this conversation. So yeah, I, I like the EIM. I, it has to be. It's why rebuild that. It's a it's a great tool. I, I, but I mentioned there's some there's some weird things that are happening with it that need to be understood. Um, but I, th those are why you just have good technical and economic and market people work through those, work through those issues and uh, and. Uh, but we need to get to, we need to have a day ahead market eventually we need to deal with transmission more effectively. Um, if we're going to bring if we're going to close tens of thousands of megawatts of gas and coal and bring on tens of thousands of megawatts of wind solar and whatever capacity is going to back all that up. I know that this all the studies show we need a lot of transmission and we need to have an institutional structure like an RTO that gets it planned, gets it re cost recovered and, and gets the allocation of cost out to the users like you and me. So. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate the perspective that these functioning markets are, you know, core of, of core importance to utilities like ours that are, yeah. you know, dependent on transmission. So um, thanks for providing that insight. These are meant to be short conversations. This has been a great nugget. Um, are you willing to come back and chat some more? Are you, you're a longstanding friend of the underground and I really very much appreciate your support. You bet. I really appreciate the opportunity, Paul. And, you know, I'm always willing to chat about just about anything. And uh, hopefully you don't have to do too much editing of, I, I don't think I dropped the F-bomb this time. So uh, hopefully no, too much, too much editing, but. Uh, no, this apology. has been absolutely great. The only our hard parts are my parts that I'll have to edit out. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Thanks again, for the opportunity. See ya. Great discussion with Roger Gray. It was great to have him on. The, uh, this was covered by Clearing Up in their most recent publication. Great summaries. Um, watch us, read them. It's a great combination. Um, in the latest episode of APPA's podcast, Public Power Now, Doug Hunter, the CEO and general manager of Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems, otherwise known as UAMPS, talks about their carbon-free power project, which calls for the development of small modular reactors. It is unclear based on APPA's podcast page whether Public Power Now is evolving to a rebranded Public Power X podcast series or if APPA will be offering a new podcast series. Public Power Underground is excited for either option. And if anybody knows people at APPA who work on the podcast, please let them know Public Power Underground is subscribed and would love to do some low post BS report style crossovers. Matt props. I don't love those crossovers, right, Brian? That's right. I love low post BS crossovers. <laughs> Uh, an article by Sherry Listgarden dealt into the reason there seems to be a lot more interest in EVs than heat pump water heaters. The author lays out some reasons, including their lack of visibility. Even if heat pump water heaters were cool, nobody could see them. Installers wanting to stick to what they know or installation expense. For more info, see the article in Palo Alto online. So it was illuminating to me that virtue signaling was probably one of the reasons that heat pump water heaters were not that... <laughs> Uh, popular, really resonated, made me laugh. Great article to read through. 
very on brand for Public Power Underground, a reference to virtue signaling. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to start with, this will probably get cut out, but, and I just didn't. uh, We're going to have to cut this now. Uh, I, I was, you know, fact checking her numbers and doing the calculations and heat pump water heater efficiency since I was in the game has increased more than 30%, <laughs> which is dang. And the price, like even the, even without rebates, the price of a 50 gallon heat pump water heater was like a hundred dollars less than an equivalent gas water heater, which is like, oh, and looking at, uh, you know, like in Palo Alto, where the author resides, the rebates for heat pump water heaters are more than twice the cost of the heat pump water heater itself. So it's like, really, virtue signaling aside, it's like, there's a, a lot of reasons to install a heat pump water heater. So do you think the the rebate would cover a large portion of the installation? Because I do assume it's really expensive to install one of these things if you're going to use a plumber to do it. I think it can be expensive if you're replacing a gas uh, water heater. It probably is pretty expensive because you don't have the existing electrical. If you already have an, a, you know, just a normal electric water heater, it's not too bad because you don't have to add the breaker and the wiring and that sort of thing. But if yeah, it's, the if, if the rebates double, is that enough to pay for a plumber even to come to the house? Because you, I like. I don't know that I would want to like swap out a regular water heater for a heat pump water heater by myself. Or is that a thing people do? I think the, you know, what we see is, uh, is electric to electric conversions, but like the average install cost that I was seeing was like five or 600 bucks, (laughs) which if you don't have to upgrade your panel should be okay. One of the things the author recommended was when you're looking for a heat pump water heater, especially to replace a gas water heater, just look for heat pump water heaters that have uh, like require a 15 amp circuit. You don't need to find a water heater that requires, uh, you know, a, a bigger, bigger size circuit. So, yeah, but like, is it is it that if I get the bigger amp circuit, it'll heat faster and better? Because I like. I mean, mad respect for the efficiency. I want to save money. I also really want warm water and hot water when I want it. So it's like yeah. a 15 amp servant going to not have as good of response to heating water. Even would, the, the 30 amp heat pump water heaters have like a first hour rating, which is basically how fast they heat up water, half of what a gas water heater has. So means slower is half worse. Yeah. Okay. Yep. But if they I already have, have an electric one, if I already have an electric heat or electric water heater, how's that rating compare? Um, it's pretty comparable, I think. And that for a thirty for a thirty amp heat pump water heater, because they have, uh, you know, the reason you have a thirty amp circuit is because it's got large heating elements in it to, you know, boost the recovery if it's needed. But if you put it in like heat pump only mode and then drain the, all the hot water out of it. In heat pump only mode, it takes like eight hours to recover to 120 degrees, which is, uh, it's almost like plug pass. <laughs> hey, I'm a, I, I love plug pass. We kept cutting you off, Brian. What, did you have something? We kept cutting you off. 
it was essentially that that point that uh, the re- I think most of the time they're assuming you're not going to use the the coils in there, so you don't have to get a, a heat pump or a yeah, heat pump water heater with with big with big enough coils if you if you don't think you're going to use them. You know, the 30 amp one is if you are uh, often going to be needing a, a lot of hot water at one time, like if yeah. you have a big play or something like that. I'm glad we came back to this because this is really good advice. Choose a larger size than you might normally choose. That's good advice right there. Okay, yeah. you, you ready, Brian? Let's move on. I am. The Northwest Power Pools Resource Adequacy Program is a topic that fascinates us at Public Power Underground. So in a follow-up to our discussion of the program with eWeb Susan Ackerman, we made a new friend. To talk more about the Power Pools Resource Adequacy Program and what it could mean for load-serving entities like ours is the newest friend of the underground and director of market initiatives at BPA, Rachel Dibble. Hey, Rachel. Welcome to Public Power Underground. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Now, BPA is notorious for like the back-to-back-to-back meetings all day long. Has it gotten any better that you're remote and doing all virtual, or is it still action-packed all day long? No, I think in some ways it's even worse because they know you don't have to walk from room to room. So it's um, like you don't need any downtime, right? Just start that next one up and schedule through lunch and <laughs> yeah and just turn off your video and go to the bathroom and then uh, yeah that's a trick hope i made muted yeah. yeah hope that you're muted when you or do that yeah have friends that you know will text you if you aren't muted that is also a key i've found in the pandemic you gotta have friends yeah yeah so thank dogs you for being barking, a friend yeah mm-hmm I love, I, I was on one. I think your dogs are barking in the background. And one thing I want to say is next time you just invite the dog. Just, yeah. we want to see the yeah. dog. You know, we want to meet yeah. the dog. Yeah. Well, she's old and she mostly just sleeps all day. But of course, as soon as I am on a video, uh, that's when she starts freaking out and barking. So of course. never fails. Never fails. <laughs> well, uh, I'll dive right in because I do respect your time. Um, so I've had this question before. Uh, I think it'll be mm-hmm. a recurring question that we ask experts about. Um, it's about resource adequacy. So the right. Northwest Power Pool has done a good job developing a resource adequacy program. Um, there's been a lot of presentations in the region about the strategic importance of a regional resource right. adequacy program. Um, But I wanted to talk to some people about the value proposition for load serving entities within a BA. Bonneville's got a Mm -hmm. lot of different load serving entities all within your BA. I was hoping for your perspective on kind of the overall overarching way to think about a value proposition for an entity like, like mine and like others like ours. Yeah. So that's a really good question. And I think you're right that we have stayed up at a higher level um, because any time you're talking about this kind of regional initiatives for individual utilities, the business case is kind of three tiered, right? You have because something that's a benefit to the region does flow down something that's a benefit or or creates a cost, either one, something that's a benefit or a cost to Bonneville flows down. So um, when you're looking at your individual utility business cases, um, those are really important and you have to kind of take care of them at your own level, but you can't lose sight of the fact that it's compounded with the other layers. Um, but right. just in this, in the sense of what each individual utility would be looking at, I'm thinking specifically more of the slice customers than okay. load following. Um, although load following, I think is really important 
Um, but for us, we consider that we, through our contracts, already have an obligation to be uh, planning for the load following customers in a different way than we do for slice customers. Right. And so for load following customers, the resource adequacy program is intended to be pretty transparent, um, that we feel like we already take on that obligation. And so we will continue to do that. And we're looking at this program as a potential better way uh, to fulfill those obligations. But for slice customers, it's different and block customers. Um, and so I think for those customers, you really do need to look at your individual business cases. And I think just to start with, it starts with that premise that we're all planning responsibly, right? We, we know what we have to, um, what responsibilities, what obligations we have, and we're all doing our best to try and make sure that we're planning for those responsibly. And so if you start with that premise, you should look at the idea that planning from a whole regional basis should allow you to plan for less when it comes to your share of that regional. So that's that regional diversity. It came up in EIM. Um, it, it comes up in this as well. But when you're looking at a much bigger footprint with geographic diversity and weather diversity, um, all of those things, uh, there's the potential that you could be planning for less. Um, so in some ways, is it that planning reserve margin that we use in planning, right. we can we could have a, a smaller one is kind of the right. conceptual framework. Exactly, exactly. And um, when E3 did a kind of a study for the 2A phase of this program, um, they did find that we're looking at a couple percentage points. Um, okay. The, the potential for a couple percentage points of savings for individual utilities. Um, when, when you look at their share of a regional uh, resource adequacy standard as opposed to just planning on their own. Um, so that gave us the confidence that this is something worth looking for to, you know, a couple of percentage points can be a big deal, especially in those really high um, peak times, a couple, couple percentage points can make a big deal. And definitely when it's scaled up to a regional area, right. that couple percentage point ends up being, right. you know, a project or two in, in all right. possibility. Right. In the long run. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then I think you start looking at, so the forward showing part of the program, uh, there are opportunities if you have additional capacity, if you tend to have points in time where you have surplus capacity, that this program would cr create a new opportunity for you to be able to sell that. If you're on the opposite side of that transaction where you need additional capacity in that forward showing timeframe, this creates a new platform or a new program where you know there are going to be entities there willing to sell. And if we're all thinking about that potential future state where the markets are getting tighter um, yep. and um, just having a a program that has several members that are saying, yep, we're going to be here and we're going to be offering and selling capacity uh, in this platform, I think is a value to everyone. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was thinking in the terms of, of timing and how the products will, or how the, mm -hmm. how the timing will work compared to like the Bonneville contract expiration um, and, and the looking out at a planning reserve margin in future years, um, it kind of ends up compounding uh, with all the other discussions yeah. we have in the right. region, right? Around uh, what's going on and what, what the future will look like. 
Yeah, and that's that, like I mentioned at the beginning, you can't ignore the regional drivers for this either right. when you're looking at your individual uh, company business cases, uh, those regional drivers are really important. Um, and so then if you move on into the operational time frame, uh, again, that same concept, if you purchase from the market right now to meet your needs, we all have pretty general consensus that in the future, the spot market is not going to be the same with the changes in the, uh, the resource mix in the region with the large dispatchable generation. Um, being retired uh, in many cases and it being replaced with the variable generation because of um, and those standards are just continuing to get more aggressive yep. uh, that that spot market isn't going to be what it is today um, there's very likely to be much more volatility if not just less available um, and so this is yet another program um, this is an opportunity uh, for you to be part of a program where you have a large number of entities across the region that are saying, yep, we're, we're committing to hold this amount based on forward showing, and we're committing to have that available for compensation right. <laughs> to, to in the operational timeframe when, when it starts to get really tight and close to the hour, um, that you know you have a group of partners uh, that have committed to holding a certain amount, having it available for sale. And then if you look at the cost side, we are contemplating this to be a pretty, a relatively low cost program. We're not, this isn't the EIM right. where we have a lot of major IT upgrades that we needed to do to be able to participate. It's not a market um, where you have the optimization engine that you have to put in place. We're looking at things more along the lines of data feeds, um, billboard functions. Okay. Uh, and we've, we've been um, pretty vocal um, in the program development itself that we want to keep it pretty simple to begin with. Um, it's, it's pretty important to us that we keep it a, um, you know, keep it simple, get some wins, <laughs> yeah. get a program in place that we feel like we can kind of test it out and make sure it's working, but keep it flexible enough that over time we could expand it and make it something um, more significant uh, Do you as, as we go through time. Do you expect in those initial offerings for the, the number of voluntary participants to be smaller and then to grow in the number of participants over time? Or are you thinking more along the lines of have the administrative burden small at the beginning and then maybe um, expand the administrative components uh, to be more expansive? What, what, what do you mean when you mean expand? Are you talking participants or... Uh, I think it's both. I think it's both of those things. Um, I think that... Um, We've seen all of these different um, market functions. Um, we've purposely kind of stepped slowly into them. Yep. I mean, we didn't do the RTO ISO. We've had many tries at that in the region. And what we've found works for this region is to slowly step into some of the features. Um, and RA is just another example of that, uh, that um, this is a feature that tends to be an RTO or an ISO function. We are trying to put it in place without that infrastructure. Um, but just as we go forward in time, um, if the region feels like uh, there's uh, the desire to expand this, um, that we should, be, we should have that optionality um, to be able to do that. But also the geographic footprint, um, 
there's been uh, interest from outside of the Northwest region. Um, that's we're not including them in this phase of it um, right. because we're keeping it to the Northwest Power Pool members uh, and this footprint. Um, but there have been some outside outside the Northwest region who have said, hey, I might be interested in that in the future if this was something you guys were willing to expand. Yeah, really interesting. Um, and I like the kind of the take that liquidity and the being able to find people to transact with may be easier right. as well right. um, and could be another area of value proposition for, yeah. for those that are occasionally long and occasionally short. Maybe it's a little right. bit easier to manage both sides of your book. Yeah, yeah. And that's certainly true for Bonneville. I mean, I think we think about Bonneville as always being surplus, but sometimes Bonneville is in positions where we need um, we need supply as well. Yeah. Uh, so I think that it's always important to remember that we could be on both sides of this. Yeah, that's great. Thank you again uh, for the perspective. Uh, yeah. And uh, hope maybe you're willing to come back and talk about other topics. Maybe after the rate case is over, we can talk about uh, sure. those type of topics. <laughs> uh, not today, of course. Um, and really glad that you're willing to be a friend of the underground. Uh, it's uh, at some point we may get like coffee mugs so we can see uh, the mugs on the other end of the screen. Uh, yeah, that would be exciting great fun. Yeah, I was very flattered to be invited. And I, I appreciate it. Like I said, I'm a 50 something Gen X mom of two young adults. So any association with the underground, I think is a good thing. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we like to consider ourselves hip. That's right. what we like to consider <laughs> ourselves at Class Guide BUD. That's what we do. Super trendy. Uh, but thank you. Thank you again. And uh, great to have you. Thank you. PPA has published their 2020 public power salary survey. It can only be purchased by members at a $75 cost. I don't know how one would qualify as a member, but I do know, as one repeat guest on Public Power Underground has said, gotta know your worth. You can find a link to a summary of results in Wednesday, January 27th issue of Public Power Daily Newsletter under the What Do Public Power Workers Earn headline. GameStop shares soar amid battle between short sellers and Reddit's amateur investors. It's uncertain who fired the first shot, but war has been declared between short sellers of GameStop, NYSE, GME, and non-traditional investors subscribing to Reddit's R Wall Street bets. Traditional traders attribute the rise to a YOLO pump and dump strategy orchestrated on social media, but some call it social justice against short sellers who go on national TV to talk people into joining their side of the trade, what some power analyst calls slump and dump, AKA talking your own book. What's for certain is that short sellers have been getting destroyed as GME rises and they're forced to cover their short positions. Last I heard it was like 3 billion short sellers have lost. I heard 13. Huh? 13 I heard now? 13 billion. That was yesterday. That was probably yeah. right here. Yeah. So uh, a lot more short, short sellers have been forced to close their position. Um, this is an evolving story. It's an evolving story. Robinhood, the retail transacting app, has shut down your ability to buy retail stock using their app. And, and are in fact and closing some caused, option positions. Uh, I would just like to also point out that the rise is almost certainly a bubble due to a lack of underlying fundamentals supporting it, causing some traders to continue to short the stock as it rises, and as it rises further, continue to lose money. So far, the buyers have been able to continue pumping the stock, causing short positions to continue hemorrhaging money. 
When the bubble bursts, investors have the possibility of losing their entire stake. But for short sellers, the risk is much greater, infinite, since there is no cap on price. Okay, a record 754 million of venture capital was invested in the vertical farming industry in the first three quarters of 2020, according to news reports by the Financial Post that we found in MWPPA's Always Enlightening Energy News Digest. The cost of energy can be a major hurdle to profitability of vertical farming, which has led vertical farmers to try to find light bulb suppliers who can reduce power use. For now, the produce is targeted at the world's wealthy elite and works best with microgreens and herbs because of their rapid and simple crop cycles, rather than higher caloric foods like squashes and melons. It's also the case that LEDs are, uh, are much better at growing leafy greens because the intensity of fruit is much higher. So you need like HPS. I also saw an interesting story that uh, coal country is turning a lot of coal warehousing space into these green, vertically green farms, basically. And they were saying that it was perfectly positioned in, you know, geographically to be within one day's drive of like 80% of the population of the US, which sounds good. All right, breaking news, breaking news, friends of the underground. Matt Shretnik informed the underground that eWeb is hiring, calling all friends of the underground. Spread the word that eWeb is hiring for the position of energy resource analyst to support regional policy and initiative engagement. The position is based out of the beautiful Eugene, Oregon. If you know someone looking for a purposeful life in public power, send them eWeb's way. This is such breaking news that it isn't even listed on their website yet as an opportunity. You heard it first here, folks. You heard it first here. <laughs> We're breaking news on Public Power Underground. I like right. it. Right, it's all it's all happening. I need to figure out how to get like a banner, like the scrolling banner with breaking news. I don't know if I'm that good actually at editing. <laughs> Probably I'm not. <laughs> You'll know. You'll know. You'll know whether I'm good enough to pull that off as you watch this on YouTube. But if you're listening to a podcast, uh, don't worry, I didn't pull it off anyway. Just keep listening. You're, just skip this, actually. All right. That's all the news we're covering this week. Send us any news, jobs, questions, or opinions you'd like us to cover next week to Paul on Twitter at the Power Manager. Or if you're a friend of the underground, send any of us a note. Public Power Underground has expanded to podcasts. Not only can you find us on our YouTube channel, you can also subscribe, rate, comment, and listen to your favorite performative pandemic public power series through your favorite podcast app. And if you've stumbled across Public Power Underground and want to get notified directly in your inbox when new episodes are published, you can sign up on Substack at publicpowerunderground.substack.com. If you would like to be removed as a friend of the underground, you can send Paul an email with the subject line, New phone, who this? That's the subject line. New phone, who this? Who this? Who this? (laughs) I know, I thought I had to look back at it. Oh, man. Yeah, like, I figured you'd just do it correctly, Brian. Uh, I couldn't convince myself to type it as this, but. Yeah, I almost said calorific earlier because that's what it was typed as, and then I tried to figure out if you were trolling me. I was just going to say it anyways. I thought he was trolling. I'm pretty sure that's how it was written in the news story, was calorific. Yeah, Yeah, I was like, is it calorific like cookies and donuts? Is it caloric? It was supposed to be caloric. You corrected it as caloric, didn't you? I went with caloric, but I do do like the word calorific. 
I think that, I'm not even sure Me that's too. Yeah, so when you take your Tesla out when it's snowing, Ian, that's why you do cookies instead of donuts. It's a little less calorific. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking super calorific expialidocious. Docious, yeah. <laughs> this is great content. I'm definitely going to use the word. Anyways, thanks for tuning in. Now we have a, a word from our sponsor. Public Power Underground is presented by Plug Pass. Plug Pass is an electric vehicle charging program designed by and for commuters, which makes us wonder why we're promoting it during an ongoing pandemic on a show that's targeted at working professionals who are trying to adjust to a professional isolation of working remotely. Don't let an intellectual dissonance stop you from checking out our program today. It may make more sense once we're commuting to work again, but Ian and I keep paying our fixed monthly plug, pa plug pass subscription even when we don't use it, because that's what we, you do when you're a dedicated sponsor who believes in a product like we do. Plug pass, it's open source. Plug pass, it's just an outlet. Public Power Underground is a pandemic version for entertainment purposes. It's written, edited, and produced by the Power Department. And the views expressed here are our own and not the official views of Classic and IPUD, nor of any person or organization affiliated or doing business with Classic and IPUD, nor the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Neither Classic and IPUD nor those appearing on Public Power Underground generate ad revenue from the episodes. It's all just for fun and positive reviews and for the likes and subscriptions to both the YouTube videos and the podcast feed. So don't be shy about sharing, liking, commenting, Five-star ratings, glowing reviews, forwarding on to friends, signing up on our new deck Substack page. Just do it all. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's work to watch.